Welcome to the Plant School Podcast. I'm Rachel, and here we learn about plants, how to care for them, how they work, and I keep it simple and taught in a way that anyone from beginner to expert can enjoy. Join me in Plant School. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So glad to have you guys here today for today's episode of Plant School Podcast. We are going to be talking about carnivorous plants and how to care for them. But as always, this is more than just a care guide. I'm going to go over what they are, their history, all the different things about them and how they work because it's very, very interesting. And I hope you guys enjoy this episode and learn something new. So to start off with the most basic of question of what is a carnivorous plant, it's a plant that's carnivorous. Pretty self-explanatory. It's also called an insectivorous plant, meaning it eats insects. And basically, it includes any plant that is adapted for capturing and digesting insects and other animals usually through pitfalls and traps. And when I say other animals, I don't mean like squirrels or anything crazy like that. I just mean like microfauna, like little tiny, tiny things that you see with a microscope. Those are the kind of tiny animals, if you will, that I'm talking about, although they have been known to sometimes accidentally trap things like frogs or even mice. But they use enzymes or bacteria to digest, similar to digestion in animals, how we work. And the end product of digestion is just this kind of soggy, nitrogenous compound along with some salts. And they are absorbed by the plant. So kind of just a a sludge that they are able to absorb. Most carnivorous plants are herbaceous perennials. Herbaceous meaning they they have like fleshy leaves and stems. They're not woody. It's the opposite of woody. Not woody from Toy Story. Woody like wood on a tree. I'm sure you guys knew that. And then perennial just means that they come back year after year. Whereas an annual, they die within the year and so you have to replace them. But most carnivorous plants are herbaceous perennials. Most of them only grow four to six inches high. They're very small. Some are much bigger. The biggest is about three feet, and so still not that very big, and then some are much smaller than the usual four to six inches high, and some of these carnivorous plants live a long time, even up to like 20 years or more in the wild. So how did carnivory in these plants start? Let's go back in the timeline and let's figure out what was happening with how they evolved. They evolved independently, meaning each of the different types of carnivorous plants. They they didn't all happen all together in one family or anything, but it happened independently about six times across several families and orders of plants. So it's a very diverse group of plants, carnivorous plants are. It took tens of millions of years to evolve, as you can imagine, and it all started about 70 million years ago. There were three modern plant carnivores that underwent a whole genome duplication. So you have your genes and these plants 
duplicated. They had two sets of them. And what that did, it freed up an entire genome of this plant. And the second set could be diversified to serve other functions. So it kind of made this duplicate just as a backup in case this wasn't going to work. And then they started to diversify. Some leaf genes developed into the genes for traps, which is where you get like your pitcher plants and your Venus flytraps. And then other times the root genes developed into genes for different types of traps called lobster pot traps. And we'll talk about all those different types of traps. So once they developed these new modified leaves or roots and they started to get nutrients from prey, the traditional leaves and the traditional roots that they had they were no longer necessary. And so those copies that they were kind of keeping in their back pocket of all those genes, they disappeared. The plant no longer needed them, and so it got rid of them, basically. Because of this, researchers, they discovered that carnivorous plants are some of the gene-poorest plants. So because they got rid of those extra genes that they didn't need, they hardly have any genes at all compared to most plants. So carnivorous plants, they grow in very poor soil conditions usually, which is why they need the insects. They are able to get a lot of nutrients from these insects. They use energy from the sun, like any other plant, but they just need the minerals that they don't get from the soil because they're growing in poor soil, but they will get from insects. So how many carnivorous plants are there in the world? I was curious. I looked it up. There's kind of a broad range. Right now, they estimate there's around 750 known species of carnivorous plants, but there is probably more than that. And it's kind of sad, but there's about 25% of these carnivorous plants that are endangered or even at the risk of extinction because of climate change, illegal poaching, clearing of land, Like I said, these plants grow in poor soil conditions like bogs and swamps. And so a lot of times the land will just get cleared out for development and kill all of these carnivorous plants. The illegal poaching problem comes because there are quite a few carnivorous plants that can fetch you a lot of money. They're rare and people want them for their own collections. I also looked up how much the most expensive one was. That's pretty interesting. I will tell you. I promise I will. I feel like I keep saying that more information is coming, (laughs) but it is. So where are most of carnivorous plants from besides them coming from heaths and bogs and swamps? So basically they live where nitrogenous materials are often scarce or unavailable. They love to grow there. There are a few exceptions to that rule of carnivorous plants that grow outside of swamps and bogs and things like that, but for the most part, that's where you will find them. And they originate all over the world. There are some from Portugal, eastern North America, South America, northern California, Madagascar, southeast Asia, Australia, New Guinea, literally all over the world. It made sense that Australia was on that list because I feel like Australia is full of crazy things. And so carnivorous plants, that's a must for Australia, right? Along with all their crazy animals and insects that can kill you, we need some carnivorous plants there. And something kind of interesting, the Venus flytrap, which is probably the most popular carnivorous plant 
is native to Williamton, North Carolina area. I just feel like for the most part, when I look up where these plants are from, they're from all over the world. So it was kind of exciting to find out that the most popular carnivorous plant was native to the U.S. I feel like that's just doesn't happen very often when I'm researching. So go North Carolina for having the Venus flytrap native to you. So I mentioned that I was going to go over all the different types of traps that these plants have. So to start off, we have pitfall traps, and these are the plants that have a modified leaf used as a trap. So some examples are pitcher plants, and there are there are so many different types of pitcher plants, but they all have a hollow leaf that has a little lid. It literally looks like a mini pitcher. They're kind of cool. Look them up. And they can collect liquid passively. There's enzymes and things mixed in, and that is able to digest their prey. So insects will just literally slip in on the rim into the pitcher and fall into the water with the enzymes below and start to slowly die, basically. That is basically what happens. Kind of sad. That's the way the world goes around. We don't get to talk a lot about this with plants and the circle of life, but this is what happens. There are flypaper traps. So these guys, they actively or passively rely on sticky substances or mucilage on their leaves, which is the butterwort family, or gland-tipped hairs, which are your sundews, and they use that to get their prey. So sundews, they are found on every continent except Antarctica, which is really cool. So they have these brightly colored glue-covered tips and hair tips, and they can move and help quickly suffocate and digest insects, and they're able to absorb them from their butterworts. They are found largely in Mexico and Central America. Their leaves kind of just appear to be green and glossy, but they're actually very sticky and they catch a lot of gnats and fruit flies as their main source of nutrients. There's also, as part of flypaper traps, the dewy pine. And this is one that is one of those exceptions that doesn't live in swamps. It's actually native to Portugal, Spain, Morocco, in a Mediterranean climate. And they have these sticky leaves to help capture their prey. And they actually emit a honey smell to attract in the insects where they are trapped on their sticky leaves. So next we have snap traps. I'm sure you can think of what carnivorous plant falls into this category, the Venus flytrap. There's also a plant called the waterwheel plant, and it's basically an aquatic Venus flytrap. It looks pretty similar to it, except that it has multiple traps in a sort of like world pattern. It literally looks like a water wheel if you were to take a slice of it. They capture little tiny aquatic insects. And both of these, Venus flytrap and the water wheel plant, they use rapid leaf movement to capture the insects. You know, they close up. And like I mentioned before, Venus flytrap is by far the most popular example of carnivorous plants. You can find them at your grocery stores. You can find them in most plant stores. Is even influenced the creation of Carnivine, which is a Pokemon character, looks very similar to the Venus flytrap. And it also influenced the creation of the Broadway play Little Shop of Horrors, 
which I had no idea what this Broadway play was about. I keep being directed to these weird movies or Broadway plays when I'm researching plants. I had seen this production going on, you know, like at my university, had no idea what it was. It's basically a story of a florist shop worker who raises a plant that feeds on humans. I read the whole story synopsis on Wikipedia. Pretty interesting, kind of gruesome, it's kind of a tragic play, and I think they have actually made a movie with it. Includes actors like Steve Martin and Rick Moranis, who is the actor on Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. But yeah, like I said, if you like tragic uh, plays, you would probably love this. Yeah, honestly, borderline, I don't know if I would ever watch it. I read the synopsis, and I think that was a, I think that was good enough for me. Luckily, the plant in Little Shop of Horrors does not exist. There is no plant that can swallow a human, thank goodness. So next, there are bladder traps, and these are found in the bladderwort plants. So what they do is they suck in insects with this partial vacuum in their roots. They're found most everywhere on Earth, and they have these bladder-like organs, they grow near or in water. Their roots are submerged underwater and tiny organisms like water fleas are sucked in very quickly to be digested. And what's kind of cool about bladderwort plants is they have beautiful flowers. They're very diverse, very unique, and they've been compared in beauty to orchids. So a lot of people love to collect bladderwort plants because of their beautiful flowers and they're also just kind of cool because they are a carnivorous plant with their roots. And lastly, there are lobster pot traps. So these are found in corkscrew plants. And what they do to collect insects is they have downward pointing hairs to force their prey deeper into the trap. And these traps, again, they're found on their roots. They're not actually roots. They are highly modified underground leaves. So it's kind of interesting. They actually don't even, you know, have roots at all. And what they do is they attract, trap, and digest microfauna like protozoans. So very, very microscopic little guys will get into these traps on their roots, but not really their roots. All right, so we are going to take a quick break and I'm going to jump back in to the podcast and talk about if any carnivorous plants can actually harm humans. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Nick from Appliance Educator. And if you follow our channel, you know I'm somewhat of a plant daddy. At Appliance Educator, we are that and so much more. Need help figuring out what brand refrigerator replaced that old yellow one from the 70s with? We got you. Need to learn how to install a new sink? We got you. Want to learn how your favorite YouTube DIYer got their start? We got you on that as well. Catch new episodes of Appliance Educator every Friday and search Appliance Educator on YouTube or your favorite podcast site to find us. All right, so can any carnivorous plant actually harm a human? Simple answer is no. Carnivorous plants, they can eat insects, some small mammals, I, like I mentioned at the very beginning, but they're, they really have no threat to humans. We are much stronger than bugs, imagine that, and we are made of completely different proteins than bugs are. We don't have exoskeletons, you know, that bugs do. The long answer is basically that these plants, they take weeks to digest their food. 
And so if we were to, if you were to like stick your finger into one of these, you would probably be healing faster than they could break you down. There are some plants that have accidentally trapped things like rats and frogs. Usually though, they can't digest it because it is just too large. These plants can't harm you physically. They can hurt you financially. So the most expensive carnivorous plant, this is like a Guinness world record. It was a hybrid pitcher plant named Leviathan, and it was developed by Jeremiah Harris of Colorado here in the U.S., and it sold for $4,500 in just July 2019, so not that long ago. And that transaction by this anonymous buyer who bought that plant, he also, or she, also purchased another carnivorous plant for another $900. So, you know, just dropping $5,400 onto carnivorous plants. No big deal. Just trying to save for a house over here, but whatever, anonymous buyer, you, you do you. You buy your carnivorous plants. Another notable sale that happened was another pitcher plant. It sold in 2020 for $3,500, and this happened on Instagram. The grower was Drew Martinez of Austin, Texas, and apparently it just had some very unique coloring, and it was a very rare variety of pitcher plant. Typically, though, when you are buying a carnivorous plant, it's in the $5 range up to $200, somewhere in there, depending on how into it you want to get. The more expensive ones that I talked about that were breaking records, those were extremely rare and extremely wanted, obviously. So if you are intrigued by carnivorous plants and you want to go buy one, I looked up the best ones to start with for beginners. I'm really no expert in carnivorous plants, although they do sound extremely interesting. Here are some suggestions for you to start. There's the Cape Sundew, the Venus Flytrap, which, like I said, most popular. You can find it most anywhere. And also, another great one to start with is the Purple Pitcher Plant. None of these are rare varieties that are going to cost you over $3,000. <laughs> that brings up, where do you buy them? So there are specialist carnivorous plant nurseries online, of course, if you have one close to you. That's awesome. But for most of us, they're going to be found online. A lot of nurseries will carry the more common ones, like Venus flytraps and some pitcher plants. I know when I've gone to my local nurseries, I have definitely seen those as kind of like fun oddity plants that you can get. And these plants sometimes come with plastic domes on them, so you can remove these if you want to avoid mold and it becoming a problem, especially for the Venus flytrap. Others, like the pitcher plants, they really love humidity, so you can keep the little plastic dome on if you want, if you are willing to keep your eye on the growth of mold and getting rid of that. If you choose to put them in your home, this is how to care for them. We're going to go over everything for carnivorous plants, and this isn't specific to one single one. Most of them require the same care. To start off, where should you put them in your home? What kind of sun conditions do they like? Well, they love to be warm in the spring and summer and cool in winter so that they can rest. If they are warm all year round and they do not get a resting period that's more cool, they often become exhausted and can die. A lot of these carnivorous plants go dormant and die back. Venus flytraps do. They will turn black and die. Pitcher plants, some of the sundews, some bladderworts and butterworts 
have winter dormancy. So these plants simply just need a resting period where it is cooler in the winter and they will grow back the next year when it becomes warmer and sunnier. Also, just as a tip, if you notice that your pitcher plant isn't producing pitchers, this is most often due to low humidity and insufficient sunlight. And when you do move a pitcher plant, it can cause some shock. It may cause some pitchers to go brown as it adjusts, but it should bounce back as you give it time and you're patient with it. But that's kind of a theme with these carnivorous plants is they love humidity, most of them, and they love sunlight. So when you are placing it in your home, give it plenty of bright sun, no need at all to keep them shaded in any way. So how do you water these plants? They grow usually in swamps and in bogs. So what you want to use is filtered water, rainwater or boiled water that has cooled. Because tap water can harm them. They have a lot of minerals and they grow in soil that's really poor. So they they don't need tap water and all those extra minerals coming with them. It can actually kill them. And it can also kill them to have dry soil. So keep your soil or soilless medium, whichever one you choose, keep it moist. Usually that means you're watering about twice a week or so, but basically just keep it evenly moist. A lot of people will water them by filling a tray beneath them so that way the soil or whatever medium you choose can bring up the water as it needs rather than you top watering it you're basically going to bottom water it since they grow in low nutrient mediums or ericaceous mediums acidic mediums things like peat work really great and I'm not a huge fan of using actual peat because that damages peat bogs things like moreland gold that's a brand is a great option because they do not damage peat bogs when they are harvesting this type of peat. You can also use a peat-free potting mix. So should you go about feeding your carnivorous plant? Is that like part of its care? No, it is not. If it's outside, it will catch its own. And if it's inside, surprisingly, it can catch enough insects for them to feed on. You don't need to go buying bugs to feed them. They can actually survive without bugs. They just grow a little bit slower. And keeping them well watered is much more important than them catching insects. Also, just as a note, with your plants, with your Venus flytrap specifically, you don't want to be teasing them and like sticking in a finger or a pencil to just watch it close. This is something I didn't know. But their traps only close about five times in the entire leaf's lifetime. So if you are provoking it and making it close all the time, you harm its chances of getting food. And after about five times of closing, it's going to die because that's about all it can do. So you don't need to feed them, and you also don't need to fertilize them. They get their nutrients from the insects that they are catching, and fertilizer will usually kill them. That is just too many nutrients for these guys. Carnivorous plants in general do need pruning, so you can cut out the dead flowers, dead stems. Go ahead and cut off dead traps or pitchers if they go black, which is very common in the winter and fall when it starts to cool down. And also as a side note, since I didn't mention this before, when I say 
when I mentioned that they will die back in the winter and fall, the temperature that you're kind of aiming for is somewhere around 44 degrees. So if it goes a little bit below that, it should be fine. But try and keep it around that range if possible. Probably keeping it by a window if it's a little bit drafty or cooler would work just fine for these plants. Okay, and the last question on how to care for them is do they deal with any pests? And they do actually, which seems kind of surprising since they eat most pests, right? They eat most insects. So they don't, most of them don't deal very well with green fly and red spider mites. So red spider mites, oh my gosh, I hate these little guys. They come every summer in our window just because they really love hot and dry conditions. So if you improve humidity and air circulation, you can usually get rid of them. Otherwise, they are a pain in the tuski because you try and remove them and they smush and they actually stain. And it is really hard to get these stains out. Such a tiny bug. I think it's just like a spiteful gift they give you. Like, yeah, you squish me. I am going to make little smudges all over your windowsill. If you can tell, I'm not bitter about red spider mites. But green flies is another one they don't deal well with. And so if you deal with those, you can use fly traps or vinegar traps. Also, you can use predatory mites on your carnivorous plants to get rid of pests that they may be dealing with. The predatory mites will come in and eat the pests that you aren't wanting and then the mites will die off from there. And that is about it on how to care for them. So if you are wanting to get into them, I hope that that is helpful on just the basics of what they need. And I hope you guys enjoyed learning more about where they came from, how much they cost, all the different types of them. I really appreciate you guys being here and listening. I have so much fun doing this podcast and I look forward to having you guys here next week. See ya! Thank you for being here and listening today, and I hope you'll join me next week. If you'd like to support this podcast and keep it going, you can find the support link below in the description and donate. Or, I have some awesome Plant School merch, including stickers, shirts, and mugs, and the link to my shop is in the description as well. And if you don't want to spend any money but still support the podcast, share this podcast with a friend, either verbally or electronically. This will even qualify you for my giveaway. Just message me on Instagram at tinnyplant that you shared the podcast with a friend, and you'll be entered in for a chance to win some goodies. Winners will be announced on the podcast. Again, thank you for listening and I hope you have a great week.